Welcome to Bitpicking, a podcast about software development. I'm Greg. I'm Mark. I'm Laura. Hi, Mark. Hi, Laura. Hi, Greg. Today, we ask, how should developers handle the visionary individuals in their business when they come asking for big ideas? How do you not say no without saying yes? And how easy is it to fly a Boeing 737? Let's go. number of places where I've worked there's always been someone who's been quite a visionary creative person who is out there putting out a ton of ideas Uh, sometimes they're quite wacky sometimes they're a long way in the future they're not very attached to the current reality of the day-to-day and as developers we're very much focused on what's happening right now what have we got what works what doesn't what do we need to fix long list of bugs and so you often I find this sense of uh, fear when those people come and talk to me and start telling me about their ideas and say we could do this we could do that and my immediate reaction is to say whoa no we can't do that because we've got this long list of bugs out there and that naturally puts uh, you know the other person's back up because they're like I'm just you know we've got to get these ideas done if we want to get ahead of the game if we want to win over the market we've got to do these things you know, I don't need you fiddling with, uh, you know, shifting pixels around the screen. So I'm wondering about, you know, what's the way to deal with that? Because uh, I feel like uh, those people are necessary and, and uh, useful to have, but it doesn't, it, it's very hard. How do we translate from those big visionary picture things down to actual day-to-day development and kind of keep everyone uh, happy, if you like? I think it's you've got to have like the big picture and the the, the smaller picture. I don't know what the, the opposite of that is. <laughs> you've got to have both people. It's maybe this is more to do with the way it's done because I guess maybe the big picture people are more prone to just like like me, like an outburst. I've got to I've got to get this idea out, um, and then it's when it falls on the implementation people, usually a developer, um, that is hard because you the onus is on you to like realize that and understand the nitty gritty and stuff and yeah so I I don't know what the answer is but I can see it's maybe more to do with the way it's done rather than what's happening being a problem I don't know do you find that I definitely find a lot of the um you know a lot of the time my response is hang on a minute I've got to actually do this it's all very well you saying it will do this and it will do that but I've got to actually implement this and normally there's an unknown to that. It might involve things that I don't know about yet, you know, or that no one in, in you know, the, the quote, productive arm of the company, you know, the, the engineering um, knows about. Uh, and so you kind of go, well, hang on a minute. I don't, I can't yet see how we're going to get to that. So my default answer is to say, no, that's rubbish. Why are you thinking about that? I need to go and fix this bug uh, in the back end. <laughs> Leave me alone. Um, but you know, accepting that there's, there is a lot of value in that and you have to have those kind of ideas coming in. These people are quite often spending their time on calls with customers, you know, and actually getting feedback from the market and, you know, Lord knows, you know, we probably do that. Um, I say we, you know, (laughs) thinking about about me, but as development teams, we don't spend nearly enough time talking to, to customers. Um, so, um, it's kind of, I think the first thing is trying to 
suppress that fear or initial reaction of my god i don't understand this it's disruptive it's not what i'm doing it's not a priority right now i don't want to have to to think about it yeah i suppose that's, that's the thing isn't it it's a distraction because there's a you know there's there's some stuff already going on and and then there, you sort of get into that whole context switching you know maybe a sort of a different level but now you're suddenly thinking well hang on a minute i'm right in the middle of this other thing which might be another product feature that you know was discussed a few months ago and you've got sort of like change and then think about this other thing in the future and then emotionally you've got that saying no type fear haven't you like oh i don't want to be the naysayer i don't want to be the person that's mm-hmm. you know saying that we can't do this thing which is guaranteed to bring us in all this revenue and if you know this is the one true thing that we must do that kind of <laughs> thing um, but i think laura's right i think it's sort of it's like um when we talk about companies having sort of an agile discipline around how to do work i think this is a similar thing but having a sort of product management discipline in that the evangelists and and the developers they all need to have this common language and understanding of how you know they're going to build things so i think the evangelist are we calling them evangelists is that a good yeah why not you know they they need to appreciate that that it's you know it's not just a sort of come in and everyone's waiting for the next bit of direction um, but then I guess the, the developers need to appreciate that you, it can't just be bug fixing till the end of the week or month or year, you know. Um, and I think a product management framework tries to to give that. Um, ah, now you've said the magic words there, the product <laughs> management framework. <laughs> Have we gone off from, are we, not, are we calling them evangelists, not ninjas then anymore? <laughs> ninjas. I thought ninjas was exclusively developers. Uh, I see. So you're talking about the, the visionary people being the evangelists. Yeah. Although maybe later we should talk about developers that have good ideas as well. Um, and how do you stop them? St- see, I've done it there, haven't I? I've said stop and instantly my little sort of guilt <laughs> gland started throbbing and saying, <laughs> guilt you can't say negative things. You have to be positive all the time. <laughs> but the point is, you know, there are developers that do the same thing and they're like, oh, while we're here, why don't we just do this other massive thing? You know, and then, and again, it's sort of how do you, I suppose maybe we're saying, how do you say no in the, in the sort of professional agile stroke product fashion, yeah. you know? I'm starting to wonder, like, if that's why I slid into UX, because I was more that the person being the one saying, why can't we do this and this and this and right, okay. being the voice of the user. And actually that doesn't work when you're in development all the time. It's quite rare to get a developer that does that a lot because it's kind of, it's the unknown, isn't it? Whereas you've got all the business as usual stuff to do and yeah. then to add in something you don't know the size of it or how you're going to implement it or even if it's possible, is quite unnerving and you can't just agree to it either. <laughs> right. well, yeah, that's it. It's, that's it's that's, that's yeah. a big problem. You know, and Greg talks about yeah. just talking about the product management framework and inevitably as a developer, you're going to try and back this away to, to product, <laughs> right? naturally the people that you think should sit in the middle of uh, uh of all this which is just another kind of link in the, in the chain because but you fear that as a developer if you give any indication that you might be able to do this thing that it's going to get promised to a customer <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Or you they, haven't already got enough work to do. Yeah, yeah well, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They look light. Like. <laughs> yeah, I've just been around doing not a lot, so let me just do that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah but it's true. So, so that's that's why I talk about you know this fear is like your guard immediately goes up, and you yes, you're like, yeah. how how can I not slam the door on this, but also not commit to, uh, you know. To, to yeah. doing something or or give someone an indication that they could commit to someone else that we're going to yeah do this thing as well jump I mean, into I, the abyss <laughs> I, I think i've been on both sides of the coin like i you know i've been in a developer role and in a product role where you're sort of you know you're being asked to do things like mark's saying and also asking for things and um i i mean i started that thinking i had an answer but i don't <laughs> I think it's difficult I on both this sides. Podcast thinking ahead now. <laughs> I think the thing I was—I've remembered now. The thing is, it always seems to me that the the weight or the 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 favor is always on the product side. And I don't know if that's because I started as a developer, so that's like my default, you know, learned behavior or learned position. But it feels like it, when you're in a producty type role, you you can sort of just ask for everything because someone else is going to say no. And so if, if the shit ever hit the fan, you get, well, I, I did try, but development said no. Right. You know what I mean? But it never happens the other way, does it? I mean, at least not what I've seen. And maybe, I don't know, maybe that's just a factor of my own experience. But it does feel like, you know, it, it's, it, is a, it is a development problem that they haven't delivered or, or, they're, or they're pushing back than it is a product um, problem that they're putting too much into the pipe. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it, you know, a lot of developers always think they are the end of the chain, right? Stuff comes down towards development well, you know, from above. <laughs> you talk great about the pigeon, right? The pigeons, yeah. Right? Um, I get it now. <laughs> we were talking about this earlier, and I was like, why are like, you talking about pigeons? I just didn't, it went right over my head. <laughs> like a pigeon does. So to speak. <laughs> it's like it all comes down from above, and, and all you can do is react and, yes, you know, yeah. and if it goes wrong, you're right. If I promised this customer this date, if it hasn't been done by the date, that's the problem of development for not doing it, not the problem of the person uh, committing Asking to that. for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, but I think there's a lot of trust as well. Sorry, Laura, go on, carry on. Go on, Mark. Well, I just think I think there's there's a lot of distrust from development of other people, and and I think development teams uh, see that and feel that. I suspect if they actually went and uh, asked people or got a bit more insight into those things, they would probably see some people getting a bit of a kicking uh, for having promised a date yeah. that you know development couldn't possibly meet, um, or for um, uh, you know forcing the company to spend uh, you know ten million pounds on a uh, on an initiative that turned out to be a total pile of pile of crap, right? Yeah. Um, but as a developer, you don't feel that you're like, well, you know, they just made the suggestion, they threw money at it, and then they just walked off and did something else. I'm not sure that's always true. Yeah, I mean, my question would be to you, Laura, because you say you, you're you're like a you know an ideas type person. So when you're getting the getting these ideas, which I presume you think are coming from a position of you know research and fact or whatever, and you're faced with um, implementers saying no no can't do that you know how does that make you feel do you are you sort of a i mean it's a bit of a leading question isn't it are you sort of appreciative of 
that position or do you get frustrated and you think oh yeah but we're doing all the wrong things and if only we just did this it would be amazing and you know yeah yeah so, but I've been in that position so I've been in the, the developer's position where you've got things being promised and you're just like please stop that but yeah it's it's not that I'm an ideas person it's more the role I'm in that right, okay. you you do a lot of testing or research with the, the the end audience and then you come back and say well actually you have to stand in front of a, a room full of developers and say what you've got here isn't working here's some evidence um, and then you have to say well actually I recommend xyz which might be um, totally unrealistic and from having like my foot in both worlds I can tell what's going to be realistic and what's not so right. I try to try to sort of have a sliding scale of well here's like the ideal which I know is not possible um, and then sort of have middle ground and you know the, the easier easier to hardest implementation for what I, I think but you know trying to keep both user and you know business or development goals um, in like balance and we often yeah. do something called um uh what do you call it now we do like a, a a workshop where we try and balance on the quadrant like how much does the user need it and how feasible is it to implement it oh, I see. Yeah. and so we try and put it in one of the quadrants to say you know if the, the user really needs it and it's really easy and feasible to to implement then that's kind of where you need to be focusing your efforts so yeah it's just a balance isn't it it's always a balance between business and user but yeah, I've definitely been in that position on both ends of the scale. And it's it's really hard, definitely yeah. really hard. So I'm more I mean, appreciative, I what, maybe. I think what you're describing there is a, is sort of um, like product management. I mean, I know <laughs> this probably not to go into this now, but there was a whole big thing about whether UX was product management or vice versa. But it does sound like that's, that's the sort of thing I would expect product management to be doing. So, yeah. you know, funneling these ideas, doing the research and, you know, prioritizing them with with development not not like away from them but i think having that where it's all open and then like like you say if you if you can plot it on a graph like that or something else mm. then the decision is not like it becomes obvious doesn't it it's not it's not a like he says she says type yeah it's not situation. emotional anymore yeah yeah based on data um, i just think unfortunately i don't think that's how a lot of businesses operate because certainly i can see now as I get more sort of experienced in my career that sometimes the overhead of all of that is you just sort of think oh it's going to take months to get through this yes and yes yet, it's, you know, yeah yeah and yeah <laughs> it's right there in front of me if only we could just do this you know and there's the sort of everything's a balance isn't it it's not just a one-dimensional balance it's like 15 dimensions of you know how much do I trust my intuition versus how much do I put into my research versus how much does it cost versus what's the revenue potential versus, you know, it's bloody complicated. Well, I was going to say, like, is, is, uh, is having that big vision anti-agile? Oh, we've, yeah, we've done this one before, haven't we? It's, it is hard. Yeah. You could say, well, what's the point of having this big dream? You know, you need to test this very small bit of it first before you have this, this big dream of how you're going to take over the market. Yeah. But then having said that, you know, you, you've surely got to have an outline of you where you think you want to get to. Yeah. I've just started to think I've never, and just until that moment right there, I've never really thought about the difference between a vision and a mission. Um, and I'm not sure I quite do, but what I was thinking there is in, in an agile sense, you would think that someone would start somewhere, do a little test 
And then if that test failed, they might pivot and do something else. Therefore, the thing, the vision they started with might not be the thing that they end with. Whereas with a mission, you could pivot hundreds of times, but still stay true to your mission. And I remember a story years ago about an entrepreneur who, um, I think they must have been on Dragon's Den or something like that. But their whole story was they just wanted to build a business and they didn't care what it was. So they spent some period of time researching all sorts of different markets and decided that the most, like, um, the most likely to succeed was to go into waste management or something, which sounds like it's like some weird mafia thing, but it's not. This is a true story. And I remember thinking when I, this was quite a long time ago, and I remember thinking, wow, like he just wanted to be a business person. He didn't care what he was doing. You know, so his vision was quite weak, I suppose. Like he wasn't like, I want to have the best X in the world. It was just, I want to have a business. Whereas there's other people who must be like, right, well, my mission is that I'm going to reduce um, poverty or I'm going to, you know, help with climate emergencies and that kind of stuff. Um, which is sort of more, it's like a strong mission, isn't it? See, so what I'm saying, so I'm, I'm wondering whether that's part of it. You know, agile doesn't work well with strong visions. Yeah, that, that was the conclusion. I, I, because it, <laughs> I'm trying to work out because <laughs> because it changes all the time. You mean that? Yes, because if you're, if you're doing agile properly, yeah. you may learn that your vision is no longer viable, and so oh, you either you either shut your business down and, and get in a hump about it, or you have to maybe change your vision, as opposed to having a mission where, you know, the the actual deliverable may change as you learn stuff. Uh, but yeah. you can still be true to some sort of overarching mission. But isn't isn't a mission more more abstract? Like I want to improve the high street. The the vision is how you do it. You could do it like thousands of different ways, and that's what yeah, the agile yeah, exactly. is. It can change. So yeah, is that I, okay? Yeah. So maybe <laughs> it's only a while. I see the other way around. I see the vision as the as the the outcome, and the mission is the the what you're doing to get there. Oh, so like no, it, I, as no, using I'm... it as a verb, isn't it? <laughs> it's really oh, yeah, it's a, it's a, no, I'm I'm with Laura. I think I mean this is why I've, it took me a while to get it myself. But I think the mission is like, you know, here's the thing I want to move. This is the needle I want to move. Yeah. Whatever that is, and then I might have a vision for how I'm going to achieve that. But that vision, you know, may change. And if I if it doesn't, then I'm more likely to succeed. I Maybe. want to know how many companies uh, succeeded in the vision that they had originally. Like how many how many companies started out saying, "Here's my vision. I am going to take over. You know, the world. I'm going to provide the world's number one uh, cloud hosting environment. Do it." Versus people that fell into it. You know, Amazon clearly when they started did not envision cloud hosting right but they somehow fell into it and I, I i dare say even when they started doing um you know things like ec2 they they i'm, I'm willing to bet didn't really fully uh have a vision for what aws is today right but i wonder no, how and, you could, and you could argue that's why they're so successful because right they, yeah. they've been able to sort of take these things and I think a lot of it is dog fooding with them. I think they were sort of necessary things they had to build. And then they just said, right, well, if we're going to build it, let's also sell it. Yeah, and I, they and build I, their own infrastructure, don't they? And then sell it, yeah. And exactly. And I, and I always use that story. I always use the story of AWS 
because of, of my confirmation bars, which is I suspect <laughs> the way that AWS has been successful is the way that I would like to be successful, which is we build it a bit of a time, we see what's useful, we get ideas and we keep adding it in and adding it in and adding it in. But I suppose what I'm looking for is, well, what's, what's the other story, which is these people took the complete opposite approach to Mark. Um, they just sat out and said, we're going to be number in three years time, we're going to be number one in the market. And we just go boom, straight there. All right, we're going to build, 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 build to do this. I wonder, are there examples of companies that we think have done that? Or have they always sure. in some way yeah. iterated and pivoted to where they are? I'm pretty sure that not none have gone from A to B. I'm sh- sure most have gone from A to Y to J. <laughs> <laughs> They've gone round and round. Yeah. I don't know if anyone's actually gone in a straight line. It must be impossible, surely. Well, I mean, I've, I've, I've read some studies. It, when I say read some studies, it might actually be in the lean startup. So again, to to steal Mark's phrase there, it may just be confirmation bias because it helps um, with the story. So the lean startup is where um, the whole MVP thing comes from. But I think it's in there at the very beginning that he talks about timing. And if not, this is just something I've read elsewhere. And how most of the three companies we attribute a lot of success to today, like Amazon is a good example, there were versions of them that existed prior. Um, there was a YouTube before there was a YouTube. There was an Amazon before there was an Amazon. There was, you know, there's plenty before Facebook and we could probably name them all. Friends Reunited, was it Bebo? Is that the thing? Yeah, um, MySpace. <laughs> yeah. And so it's quite easy to look at these things and go, wow, Facebook, you know, we really did it and it was... You know, they were just amazing. And actually, it was just when it started, it was just a clone of another idea. And it just was timing was correct, you know. And I think the conclusion of these studies were the execution was not the most important thing in a successful business. And it was timing was much more, um, was was a much bigger indicator of success than execution. Yeah, that happens with a lot of inventions, though, doesn't it? Even like the light bulb was copying other people's ideas until a point wasn't it that it yeah it was timing the timing was right the materials were cheaper yeah there was a need you know all that sort of thing they could understand how what what this could change for society so yeah it was i think it's like that long nose isn't it you hear a lot about the the graph if you plotted it on a graph it goes up like really flat and then steadily takes off um and it's like a long long nose long tail yeah Maybe maybe I've just got the wrong body part. <laughs> no, no, because the tail is the other side of the. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. So you're right. Yeah, so it's it. nose and tail. Yeah. 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 But, just but like now the, it's yeah. like now. Sorry. Now it sounds like coming back to our original topic that, that the message from this podcast to to our developer listeners is uh, it doesn't matter what you do or how you do it. It's all it's all pure luck. So just keep doing what you're doing. You don't have to worry about the vision. Just. <laughs> Keep fixing your bugs and it might work and it might not. Just get your magic I mean, I, I eight ball out and give it a shake. Should <laughs> I do this? Maybe. I don't think the results of these studies were sort of, you know, like mutually exclusive, if that's the right the right phrase. It wasn't yeah. like it's only timing. I mean, if you've got good timing and shit execution, you're probably going to fail as well. Yeah. Or, or, you know, other combinations. I just think that timing was, like I said, an indicator, much stronger indicator of the success of a company you know if you're trying to distill why a company is successful into a few components
I think the other part of this is focus as well. And you know, my answer when when I've my 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 first immediate answer to we've got to do this now, otherwise we're never going to conquer the market is no, <laughs> right? Because I don't really know. And then I think about it and I go, it's all a matter of priorities. I was going to say, what do you do next then? What, what do well, you yeah. tell them after well, the no? Well, yeah. So <laughs> well, it's always, well, it's get it's out. <laughs> do you, do you want us to do, we were doing A, now you're telling us that we should do B. So do you want us to stop doing A? Or do we need to get A done first? Or do you want us to go and hire more people so we can do A and B? Like, and what's B, the yeah. what's the priority within the within the business? And I think that tends to then force the sort of stopping and thinking. Like, okay, how are we going to you know, realistically? How we are we going to get this done whilst still doing all the other things that we said that we were uh, going to do? Um, and I come and I come back in that situation that you don't you have to have more data, don't you? Because you need to have ways to evaluate A against B and C and D and E, you know, and then have a very clear, you know, position on what's important. Um, I'm, I'm coming back to the product management framework type situation that you that I mean I'm not sure this is what you're describing, Mark, but I have heard in in some businesses where it is the whole hippo. Have you heard that phrase, hippo culture? Yeah. So the highest paid person's opinion, and they can just walk into a room of developers and say, I've just got off the phone with Acme Inc. And they've said that, you know, this is the most important thing that they want. And then the whole team pivots onto that, yeah. you know, um, and then if you're in that environment and you say no, then yeah, that's going to become contentious. Um, and I, yeah, and I think the way to get out of that is to have to, is to have more data to say, okay, Mr. Hippo, what, you know, let, let's get to an I mean this is talked about a lot in product management how do you sort of distill it down to this figure that you can compare well that thing you're asking for is a seven you know and the thing we're doing right now is a five so yeah you're probably right let's move to the seven you know you, you just um sort of raised a point which I think I've observed in um all of the people like this that I've known is actually the, the people with the the biggest visions are also the people uh, most likely to pivot or change from that vision as soon as something else comes along. Yeah. Mean, here's the big idea, and we should just focus on getting this done. Yeah. And the minute something else comes in, they'll they'll see another idea, and they'll be like, right, this is this is the idea. Uh, you know, whereas everyone else is like, right, we're still working on the on the last <laughs> one. <Yeah>. <laughs> this feels like my personal projects. Yeah. Like picking yeah. up yeah. things, yeah. put that down. Oh, look, there's a shiny thing over there. I'll go do yeah. that one instead. Oh, look, a squirrel. <laughs> story so, of my life. Again, it's like, I don't, um, I suppose what I'm trying not to do is is sound like uh, that's a complaint because it's, it's very easy, again, as development teams to say, oh, God, change their minds again or you know they don't know what they're doing or they're just going around in circles um because i think it is valuable and you have to have those ideas coming in so it's more about dealing with those in a in a rational way and like i i get the whole well you have a product management function it goes through them and feels a bit i don't know it's heavyweight, isn't it? That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, it's a bit enterprise, isn't it? Okay, so yeah, yeah, exactly. You talk to this guy, you go and talk to the product manager. The product manager talks to the product owner. Blah 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 blah. And yeah. like, you know, and you take and, and the, all of that joy because actually, what a lot of um, some of these people want is to is to come in the room, say, 
we're doing this now, guys. And everyone's like, yeah, party on. <laughs> Get the pizzas. We're not going home till we're finished. Backing it out, yeah. Bang, 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 bang. Yeah, we're done. What I was going to ask, don't you have some kind of research department then that goes and validates if that's a good idea first, just to like drop <laughs> a grenade in from... <laughs> That side of the fence. A research department. <laughs> yeah. We've I mean, have... barely got a test department, so I'm going to get some research. <laughs> I think that's, yes. yeah, that's really common that, yes. like, there's no one validating this. Yes, I have a research ideas. department. Let me change my hat. <laughs> <laughs> Put my wig on and my cape. <laughs> but that's, but it, but that's that, how but it should Mark, work, surely. Mark's joke is true, though. When you're in a smaller yeah. sort of team, obviously, you, you should be doing the thing even if you don't yes. have a department and, you know, individuals dedicated to it. But, um, yeah, I think everybody does the thing in a fashion. But I think Mark's right, you know, when you start talking, I mean, even just using the word framework, like it's very, it's very useful to describe to someone else the way you're thinking. But actually implementing a framework is just so rigid and stale and, you know, and, it, and like Mark says, I think it takes some of the fun out of it. But then if the other alternative is to have this sort of chaotic, you know, everybody changes every 20 minutes type environment. How do you how do yeah. you come out of that? So to sort of your point, Laura, how do you how do you enforce a research or data driven decision making culture without, you know, having to write, you know, working practice documents and and have some, you know, suit and booted person saying no you can't do that you haven't you know you haven't crossed the t's on that document so we're not doing that yet is that me <laughs> no no that wasn't you no no not so that's all the project managers but yeah no, no offense yeah, project managers right. i love you really <laughs> but yeah i think i think you're right it's it's like how heavyweight do you want to get how much friction do you want to add because actually that could kill a, a potentially really good idea but um, it's something that I was actually reading about earlier. Um, like you have a product backlog, you have a learning backlog as well. And it's kind of maybe not quite what, what we're talking about here, but having like an ideas backlog that you can have at least someone looking at and sort of assessing what's the priority, how feasible is it? Does, is it actually needed or is it just like the loudest voice getting getting attention mm. here or the loudest customer or the loudest hippo or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a good idea. Because because we, um, uh, in our previous employment, had innovation time, right? And and labs, we called it. Uh, uh, well, we're through various iterations, but uh, you know, taking um, a certain amount of developer time to just work on ideas and whether they were ideas that come from elsewhere in the company or whether they were developers just doing their own research um, into something to generate their own, you know, generate more ideas or show a new technology. Uh, using that as a bit of a pathway to getting, you know, so you can kind of keep people happy with, you know, we're doing, we're doing, the, we're doing the bug fixing, but we're also generating some new ideas and we're getting to produce some stuff. That's well, your what, 20% time, isn't it? It's the 20% time, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or 10, or 75. I mean, oh, yeah, I think for, it's like 5%, I think, wasn't it? It wasn't really, yeah. Or the minus 10, because you should do it on your own time, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> minus 10. But of course, what, what you get to eventually is the old uh, smoke and mirrors demo. And they let's just, oh yeah, let we're, we promise we're only going to demo it doesn't have to work it's fine we're just going to demo it 
and then we'll concept yeah. <laughs> um, proof of concept yep and then before you know it <laughs> a year later you'll still support this thing in production cursing prototypes live <laughs> yeah you haven't bothered to uh, to do this um but again it's like for for people who aren't who aren't in it you know they aren't gonna look at it and they're gonna go what well, looks like it works right it looks like it works and it and it does kill me when when someone goes as far as i can see it works and you go oh yeah but there's another um, you know, there's another six months of work that we need to do to bring it up to production standards. And they're like, well, what's that? And it's all stuff that you can't see. It's all the stuff behind the curtain. Okay, yeah. It's the, well, I need to make sure the database is encrypted or like, you know, the communication between these two things is robust and, you know, it's network handling code or it's, you know, actually this, this bit of code is very messy, right? Oof, that glass is too long. And of course, for someone else looking in, they're like, I don't care about that like just, it yeah. works so like there's, there's no benefit to to me or to the customer from from doing that so and, it, and again it puts it puts you as a developer in a position of you know like you're on the back foot because now you're the person that's like you've already gone through this kind of like negotiation of let's do this feature no I, no i don't have the time to do it okay how long do you have oh well you know give me a couple of days and i'll mock something up so you've gone through that bit yeah. Then you've delivered something and now it's like, okay, well, that's it. It's done, isn't it? And what were you complaining about? <laughs> yeah. It's not really done. I've got another six months worth of, you know, and now you're on the back foot again. Yeah. It's a really, I think it's really tough on developers to sort of expect that. But I always say to my team that, you know, we just should stop doing it. I mean, I know it's a hard sell, but if you, if you don't want your stuff to go live, if you're not happy about it going live, then don't write it like that. Like every, you should assume that everything you write is going to go live. That's, yeah, and I know that's not realistic, but that's certainly what I I try and say. And I actually try and you know, anytime someone says hack or you know workaround or anything, I say no. No, if you've done it, then it's it. It is. It's done. It's real. You know, um, to to try and sort of prevent that um, sort of situation. But then, if it takes you six months to do a demo, then yeah. You're, you're you're blocking the sales process aren't you yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is what industry you're in doesn't it if you're working in like i don't know flights yeah. <laughs> for aircraft <laughs> computing systems then you might want to not hack it <laughs> well to mark's point though earlier his question earlier i just don't think i mean we spoke to paul newell a few weeks ago didn't we a few episodes ago but i'm just wondering if this doesn't happen in sort of different industries and I wonder if it's a unique situation to the kind of businesses we work in, which are these pure software, quite rapid moving, you know, nascent industries and whether that, because we're all doing agile, that's causing these positions. And when you're in a bigger established um, in industry, maybe it's not quite a deal and everybody's well aware that if you want something, it's going to take six months or whatever. I don't know. That's, you know, yeah, my I, hypothesis. Yeah, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be so sure, to be no. honest. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of software out there in a lot of industries that is behind the scenes, smoky, <laughs> or even I mean, you look at the whole, um, you know, the Boeing seven three seven Max issue, right? Um, you know, the couple of planes crashed because there was, you know, there was something in the software that the engineers knew wasn't ready, and yet, you know, the people responsible for delivering it said. It'll, it'll be fun you know and even yeah. though the engineers are going no we really i think we really need to fix this 
no, no, it'd be fine. It'll be fine. Yeah, and, and I mean, like, it's not just the tech bit, it's the usability bit as well. A lot of these systems are just not fit. They're really, like, complex to use, aren't they? Like, the... the, the Boeing 737s are... Um, yeah. yeah I've I, I, I <laughs> flown one before. <laughs> I believe there's a little bit of training involved in it, yeah. A little bit. You can't just pick it up on Udemy as a course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you probably could. Pale, 9 99 down from $500. Yeah. I think there's, there's lots out there that's just not really good but then maybe that's you know that's that, that's agile Ding. <laughs> I, I think it just comes with experience and i do wonder whether you know you, without getting into the whole um sort of peter principle but i think if somebody was in a position where they were you know they had that amount of weight and authority that they could come in and sort of um you know, throw their weight around around new features and ideas and, and make a development team feel uncomfortable and whatever, you do wonder whether they're, you know, they're, um, I don't want to say right for that position, but you know what I mean? It's like they, they don't have the experience or they haven't got the diplomacy or the whatever to, to do that role. Because I think that, to your point earlier, Mark, I think if you were to look at very successful companies, I would like to think that that behavior is sort of rooted out quite quickly, you know, and they do, even if it's not a heavyweight um, process, they do have some kind of understanding about, you know, how to prioritize work, how to make decisions and that kind of stuff. I like to think. Well, but you could could argue from the other direction, right? Which is you should root out the developers who... Who say no. Who say no, who can't, you know, who can't be flexible in or you know can't understand a bigger vision but that but that's the emperor's new clothes isn't it i'm sure we've all worked with people like that as well right you know there there are some people some people heads are four or five years away some people are thinking about you know the end of the quarter or this sprint there are some developers who are literally this is the story that i'm working on don't interrupt me i'm i'm just gonna do this right because um yeah um so you know and you can argue that's just as destructive as but I'm but I'm talking about when to raise the conversation. So having learned about or, or or come up with a new idea or a you know a sort of big strategic initiative, how to present that to the business. You know, I'm talking about that kind of learning, not not to not to say we shouldn't have people doing that and that all those developers you described are not valuable, but there's a way to handle that situation. And I think if, if somebody is continually disrupting and demotivating you know the development team then then it's probably their behavior which is the problem not not the ideas or or that kind of thing yeah this is what i started off saying at the start that it's maybe the mode of delivery rather than the actual idea itself isn't it it's the way it's delivered and is there like a, a means to to get that across is that is there like a special time <laughs> <laughs> a special method <laughs> like a little letter think, sealed with the wax it's <laughs> a good point because i think there is um uh there is a certain thing in if if i am literally in the middle of writing some code and you want to come in and sit down and tell me about your five-year plan yeah that very moment <laughs> I'm very got an idea for you <laughs> exactly if if we want to sit down at some point because it does it, it is a change of mindset right it's a it's kind of taking yourself out of a particular focus zone and switching your brain into a different gear 
uh, and thinking about that long term vision. You know, it's not that you can't do it. It's just that there is a time and a place to uh, to do it. Yeah. So, you know, four thirty till five thirty on a Thursday is my that's that's <laughs> dreaming time. Yeah. Sky yeah, time. Dream Blue sky time. Dream time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had a couple of other thoughts on this topic. Um, that you might be able to help me with because one was um that came up earlier is how do you describe like is there a word i'm not very good with with definitions but are you aware of a word that would describe something that you could say very easily but actually behind it is incredibly complicated because i get into this position a lot where somebody wants something which they can describe in two sentences and most people will, will understand what they mean and therefore, they assume that because it's easy to describe, it must be easy to do. And then I have to be the person who's, you know, not necessarily saying no, but I have to say, yeah, that's great. I love it. That's six months worth of work. And then you see the face yeah. sort of drop and like, oh, really? But it's so simple. And this I, is, of, um... I want a really good way to sort of show or, you know, like a word or uh, an analogy or something to sort of describe it. <laughs> it's know? like an iceberg, isn't it? Yeah, you can see the tip the tip is beautiful and serene and it's got lovely polar bears on and it's like the finished product but underneath there's like jaggedy bits and like dead things attached to it i think it's a moot point because i think now that gpt3 is out there i think you just describe it to gpt3 and it generates you (laughs) it creates it for you uh, your software (laughs) out of the bag problem solved (laughs) <laughs> yeah i don't Boeing know what... are putting their stuff through that huh? <laughs> Boeing putting their latest yeah latest offer yeah. through it yeah make me a plane that flies please gpt3 <laughs> <laughs> on that please note place a joystick did you, did you see, uh did you see uh the guy with i think actually may have come from you via you on twitter Laura. me who's on twitter who's, who's written um this software that <laughs> uses that to generate uis you describe a ui you say yeah. it's got a google he showed building the google kind of homepage. page yeah. he said i want i want the google logo and then i want a wide text box and i want two buttons underneath and it boom, just generates it yeah. it's very clever but how do you like wire it all up does it do that too i can't, I can't do that it's just the front end isn't it just the... to be honest I'm, I'm also a little bit confused as to how it does it with gpt three because that as far as i know is just a, like a text you give it some text and it gives you more text it can, kind of continues the conversation so i'm not quite sure how that's being used to then generate well i did read but it was on reddit so you know it must be true but actually that demo while it was impressive was was a bit smoke and mirrors to go back to <laughs> the previous part <laughs> and now they sold it yeah, <laughs> so like it it understood buttons and you know grabbing images and layout but if you were to say to it you know, something outside of the things it knew, you know, it would just bath basically. Yeah, so. I sort of suspected that it would be that, you know, and if you've ever been in a customer demo, it, it's very much like that. Whatever you do, don't click that button or that button. <laughs> don't be wrong. Yeah, yeah, click exactly. this button, type nice exactly this text. If you type anything else, <laughs> it's going to crash. <laughs> I mean, like it reminded me when I saw that demo, it reminded me of the early days of um, voice interfaces where like every example was booking a flight like that was the yeah, only thing yeah, people yeah. do with their yeah. mouths is book flights you know <laughs> was like, well what if i don't what if we live in a country where flying isn't a common thing you know does it understand trains 
Yeah, and they never had a Scottish accent, did they? <laughs> Strong northeastern yeah. accent or anything like that. <laughs> Brummy, yeah. older enough booking. <laughs> so, and I, it always used to make me laugh that that was always the the thing. Or booking restaurants yeah. as well. That was a big one. And I thought, well, that's more reasonable. But it's definitely like a North American thing, isn't it? Because yeah, you know, they they sort of eat out more and they fly more because of their you know natural um, infrastructure and that kind of stuff. Um, I've yet to really find a good use for Alexa. Besides shouting, Alexa, remind me to take the washing out of the machine in an hour. That's about as that's about as far as I get. I've got I've got three timers in my kitchen, like one on the oven, one on the hub, and then an Alexa. And I can't yet work out where, why I choose which one I choose. You know, like it's a complete unconscious thought that I just set a timer. But then I, I look back and I go, why did I use Alexa for that one? And sometimes I'll have two going and I'll have one on the oven and one on Alexa. I'm like, what is wrong with my brain? Why can't I just pick one bloody timer? Where's, where's Siri in all this? Mm-hmm. Oh, she's long gone. Yeah, but... yeah, she's, she's retired already. <laughs> she's an old lady. So, Mark, we started talking about um, how do you marry up the visionaries and the, the people who are implementers? Do you feel like you've had a, a good answer? I never get a good answer out of this podcast. <laughs> if we reached oh. a conclusion. <laughs> but we almost called it It Depends. So you, your expectations were set at the very beginning, Mark. It it depends. It depends. Um, no, I think it's been a I think it's been a good, interesting discussion. Um, but yes, as always, uh, there is no hard and fast way for, for this to happen. I mean, I think, yeah, I'm still I, I still feel a bit icky about Greg's product management frameworks. Um I, I guess that is the that's the most obvious answer is is making people go through a process but that kind of feels like it's killing the well, joy gonna, of innovation and vision yeah i mean i'm going to re- revise the f- phrase and say it's product management thinking um which you could probably say is a subset of agile thinking anyway but i think just generally you know the, the ideas have to come you know you we can't we can't sort of stop ideas and innovation happening. So it's just how do you manage it when it occurs? Um, and I think that agile or product management thinking helps with that. Yeah. Um, and I think the worst case is if it's a, you know, if there's none of that and nobody in that, in the, in that game is aware of them. So they're not able to, you know, work it through in that fashion is when it becomes a bit chaotic, but I yeah. don't think it has to be a whole bunch of, you know, documents and, process it can just be a simple half hour conversation that says all right you know we can't do that right now but i'm not saying no you know so let's talk about you know the merits of it and that kind of stuff yeah and i think uh, as much as we giggled at laura's research department um the the theory (laughs) the theory is right is like you you have to allow some of that time for innovation and you have to kind of um be open to that thinking and that i think that has to involve everybody you know whether it's developers whether it's you know customer focused people whether it's product people i think having some time to allow those ideas to be discussed helps you know making sure that people aren't just frustrated particularly people who have got this vision but feel like they can't get any engineering time to even discuss their ideas um you know let alone get them actually executed so i think mm-hmm. it's important to build that in and kind of as a bit of a, a release valve if you like right you know we'll have the half an hour and then we'll tell you your ideas rubbish <laughs> i was gonna say so what you're saying is no yeah see you again next week 
I see the phrase, the phrase I use a lot at my place now, which seems to help. And I've sort of I've explicitly been trying to use it more is, is something along the lines of it's not a no, but it's a not now. Right. You know, so when people come up with stuff, I say, I'm not going to say no, but I am going to say it's not now. Yeah. <laughs> you sound like my mum. <laughs> she sounds like she'd be an excellent product I'm manager. I'm going to say no, <laughs> but just not yet. After your dinner. <laughs> yeah, mum, can I have a biscuit? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that and variations on that, I just think it helps because I think when you say no, people may assume it's final. Like, that's it. The conversation's done. But if I say, like, it's not right now, you know, to your joke a minute ago, it's the same thing, mm. you know, but it just sort of softens it a little bit. And then I just put it at the bottom of the backlog and after three months it auto-deletes, but yeah. don't tell them that. <laughs> auto-deletes. <laughs> yes, I think we should answer more questions with, tell me more. Tell me more yeah. about that idea. Explain that to me. <laughs> then I can delete it later. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> Come to me again with another silly idea. <laughs> All right. Talking of silly ideas, let's, let's let's close this down. I think that's us for this week. Uh, if you want to provide us any feedback, you can get hold of us on Twitter at bitpicking. Bit picking. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that was me that time. I'm sorry. Let's try again. <laughs> you can get us on Twitter at, at, at bit- hashdropper.com. <laughs> <laughs> you, did the at, you did the at twice that confused me uh-uh. oh, sorry. Sorry. Uh-uh. at bit picking on twitter uh, I think we better go uh, thanks Laura thanks Greg thanks Mark bye bye, bye. We can talk we can talk crap for a long time, don't we? Yeah.